The Zone of Truth is recorded live in front of a virtual studio audience. This week on the show, Griff and I take a spin on the backup roulette table, announce to the world what the future holds for the Hideous Laughter Productions crew, answer some listener questions, and more. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. And we're live. And we're live. Griff, how does it feel to be back? Uh, I'm psyched for a second live Zone of Truth. The first one I thought went amazingly, and now we're on uh, what some might say is the second month anniversary of the live Zone of Truth show. Yeah. um, Some people called the first live Zone of Truth that we did uh, the most successful thing we've ever done. Yeah. Four out of five stars, a triumph, Mm -hmm. uh, the New York Times- Wrote in. So today we're on cruise control. This is our victory lap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is yep. how we wrap it up. Absolutely. Packed fucking agenda today. Yeah, we do have a pretty pretty thick agenda with two Cs. And we've got some thick beers to try that you brought out for us, Griffin. I did. I'm a little worried because uh, they're chunky. We're going to get a little tipsy by the end of this, which is good because the end of this is going to be a celebration from what I've heard. Indeed. Uh, so I'll go first here. I'm drinking a Ben Thick. It's a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout with toasted coconut and coffee. And uh, it's by Half Acre Brewing. What's the ABV on that one? 13.7. Excellent. And then I'm also drinking something from Half Acre Brewing Company as well. This one's called Big Hugs. It's an imperial coffee stout with vanilla. It's got really cool can art that I'm holding up to the screen it's this trippy purple cat who uh is like his face is kind of melting so it's pretty wild oh fuck man just like the agenda she thick oh Oh, baby that is a wow that is that is a boozy beverage you can definitely taste the booze on that it's dark uh i'm not really getting the coconut but all in all it's good it's just heavy yeah this one doesn't taste particularly boozy, which is which is very good. That's why I saved um, it for a second. Yeah, but I'm liking it a lot. I'm going to take one more sip, and then we've got just a hair of housekeeping before we get into the actual agenda. We also have um, a question already, actually, and I think it's relevant. You guys are bringing beers here right now, but what is your favorite two-ingredient cocktail? Like the cheap, easy two-ingredient cocktail you've got. And that two, comes from Nathaniel. Two-ingredient cocktail. Does water count as a, as an ingredient? If if not, it's not a wet Timmy situation. If, well, not not a wet Timmy, but I like my I like my vodka water and mio or vodka water and crystal light. If it has I to be, think a, that's failed. If it has yeah. to be, a, if it has to be a two ingredient drink, I think those are easily the most versatile because of the span of flavors that crystal light and mio has, and you can add energy to it, or <laughs> you can add electrolytes to it. It's really you know it's the jack of all trades of two beverage or two ingredient beverages, I think. Yeah. Vodka water Mio is like the, um, wishing a genie for more wishes. I feel like it's very versatile. It's great. Um, honestly, that's probably mine as well. Unless just like a classic gin and tonic. Yeah. Gin and tonic's good. I was thinking like 
I like whiskey straight, but uh, sometimes I really like a whiskey ginger ale, mm-hmm. like a uh, like a not a bourbon ginger, but like a traditional Irish whiskey, like a, like a Jameson ginger is really good. You know what? Uh, I uh, I'm, a, I'm a Moscow Mule too. Mm-hmm. I know those usually have like lime or something in them, but just a, if you just have ginger beer and vodka, I think that works really well. Yeah, dark and stormy is good too. That's oh. a ginger ginger beer and dark rum. Well, let's just throw out the rest of the agenda because it sounds like we got a lot <laughs> like we can to talk, talk about this about. all day. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. I think. I think it's pretty much uh, a a soda or a ginger beer you like and a liquor you like, and I wouldn't do an expensive liquor you like. Yes, I feel like a, a, a two ingredient combination is usually your like bottom shelf. That's like college drinking usually. Sometimes, but like sometimes you need it to be good to hold mm-hmm. its own. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. I think we pretty much answered that question. If you got any follow-up questions, save them for the end on that one, because I'll keep talking. <laughs> First of all, we just have a tiny bit of housekeeping to go through. So I just want everybody to know, keep your ear to the ground, because we got a big, big announcement at the end of this that I think is going to get people really excited. But in the meantime, I'm also going to say that, hey, we're getting kind of close to the end of Carnival of Tears on the Patreon show. Is Very that true. right, Griff? Yeah. I'd say... Listeners should probably expect maybe three or four more episodes of that. Okay, okay. Excellent. And then after that, we're switching things up a little bit, doing a little bit of shift in the cast, and we're shifting the GM. That's going to be me. We've already announced that. Um, but just just keep aware. We've already kind of teased out what the, um, what the next module is going to be on the Discord, and a few people have already figured it out, but uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm excited. I haven't really dug into at all what the module is about because you kind of told us not to. Don't. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited for my character. I'm very excited for my character. Yeah, I've been I've been starting to get some really cool character concepts. And I think as we get closer, we'll start teasing those out to the world. I think that might be fun. Chris sent me his character sheet a day or two ago. Love. Oh, shit. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that Chris was on the show. Oh, uh, no. Uh, editor. Bleep that out. Um I've gotten some character sheets and they're very exciting. So um, that's cool. That's coming up. Um, also, last time on the show, you guys heard Jason on here from Super Smash Finder. Um, we're working with him to set up our debut on that show. Keep posted. It's going to happen. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and that's really it. So, Griff, what have you been getting into? What have I been getting into? Well, it's a little game I like to call Temtem. Temtem is uh, it's on PC right now. Mm-hmm. It's in... Beta, I think, and it's also on PS5, weirdly enough. Oh, uh, but it's like it's like Pokemon, but it's also a, a, an MMO. And, oh, cool! And so it's like it's an MMO Pokemon. They're slowly releasing new Temtems, uh, which are you know their Pokemon, and they're raising the level cap each time they release more of the game. So the game's not finished yet, but like they they'll release a new island to explore, and that'll come with like. 30 Temtems that are new and also it'll raise your level cap by like 10 or 20 for your current Temtems. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's all double battles and it sucked me in. Is it you versus the computer or you versus other players? You can do either. Uh, it's kind of like you can do PvE players versus yeah, yeah. Uh, environment with it's like if you were playing a Pokemon game through, but 
just with multiple people. It's got full co-op integration since all the battles are double, so you can play with one other person through the entire game if you want to. But you can also like challenge people just like like you would like if you were a regular Pokemon trainer and they like looked at you. You can literally walk up to somebody, like click on them and be like, I wanna fucking fight you. Nice. <laughs> so it's cool. And and there's the graphics are are a little cutesy, but I, in my opinion, they're just as good, if not better, than the most recent Pokemon release. And the the fact that it's not finished and it's still really fun is is has got me pretty hyped about it. I've only just dipped my toes in, but I just bought Hades. Oh, and I I'm really excited to keep playing that. Yeah, I heard that game is horny as shit. I've heard. Uh, I mean, it's one game of the year. Mm-hmm. By for, for a couple of uh, Haley's giving me that eye. It's true. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited to get deeper into that. Uh, as far as shows are concerned, literally just watched the first episode of the new newest season of the Sabrina Netflix series. Ooh, really Emily's excited to! That, I'm yeah. really excited to watch. We're Haley and I are actually further along than Emily is in the show. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just super excited for the new season because the new season is much like book four of Carrying Crown. The Elder Mythos is coming into play. Like at the beginning of season three, they hatched a an egg from a great old one. Okay. And like now that's the repercussions of that are happening. So it's it's like witches, but last season they went to hell. And this season, <laughs> like they're doing Eldritch Horror stuff. So it's it's a lot of fun. I like it. Uh, I liked Sabrina as a kid, mm-hmm. like the regular, the the original show, and this is such a cool twist on it that makes it much more adult, obviously, but also kind of like tickles my horror fancy. I really enjoy getting a little bit of horror in a TV show. It's nice. That's very nice. I'm glad to hear that. That sounds really good. I think that uh, that type of show vibes really well with uh, a lot of the people that listen to this show. Um, I haven't seen it myself, but I know it's good. So maybe I'll have to check it out. I mean, if you liked American Horror Story Coven, you'd probably like it. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that then. Maybe. That's a big maybe. Uh, but as for myself, right now I have wrapped up Assassin's Creed Odyssey, or at least gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, I understand this game. There's way too much, and it's just going to suck up too much time, and I've kind of achieved everything I want to. Um, So now I'm hopping back into the world of online multiplayer, playing a little Battlefront 2, years after it came out. And so now, like, they have all the DLC and everything is unlocked, and it is a solid shooter, man. I get every day I play, I get to live out my fantasy of being a a battle droid fighting in the streets of Theed, and then. uh, getting transported up to a Republic gunship and blowing it up from the inside. Good times. Good times. Wow. And that's only one of the things you can do online. Sorry that people live can't see that you're hard on any table. Well, yeah, the table's up a little high. Um, <laughs> it's good times. But um, so that's cool. I'm going to uh, continue into the Star Wars nerd dump for just 20 more seconds. Um, I'm also reading a new book that was released called Light of the Jedi. This is the first adult aged novel that um, takes place in what's called the era of the High Republic. So that's 200 years before the prequel movies. So it's basically like when the Jedi are at the height of their power um, and they're this shining light to the entire galaxy and they're exploring the Outer Rim. It is awesome. It's so good. Uh, I just finished probably the first third of the book, which is this big, um, big 
disaster on a galactic scale, and it was excellently written. So I would highly suggest that to anybody who wants to read a little bit more about Star Wars. But the last thing I want to talk about is a show that I've been watching on Netflix called Criminal. Have you heard about this show? Nope. All right. That's too generic of a name for me. (laughs) It really is too generic. It's not Criminal Minds. That show sucks. But Criminal is basically... There's like, it's weird. There's different criminals on Netflix. There's like criminal UK, criminal France, criminal Spain, and criminal Germany. And each one of them is the story of, they're just like three or four episodes long, pretty short run. Um, But it's a team of interviewers or interrogators really who are interrogating criminals and the entire show takes place basically in one room one of those rooms where it's like the interrogation room with the big glass window and people are standing behind it so because the setting is just one room in order to make it interesting the writing and acting has to be so incredibly tight it's like old uh old sherlock's home stories like where They'll they'll like plant seeds. And as these guys are picking apart people's alibis, you start to understand what actually happened as opposed to what they're claiming happened. Mm -hmm. Um, They are fascinating. They're so good. Um, So I would highly recommend those to anybody listening out there. Check those out. They're really cool. And they have some great, great actors in there. Um, The first one for the UK, the bad guy is David Tennant. Everybody loves David Tennant. He's um, a bad guy, too. Yeah. I think um, Kit Harrington is in one of them in... Uh, How flat was that performance? It was really good. Was it? It was really good. Yeah. It was... I mean, it's some really heavy subject material, so just, you know, go into that ready. But, um, man, good performances. Anyway... That's all the BS at the top. Now let's get into the actual meat of the show. The first thing we're going to do today is play a little backup roulette. Oh, and I normally, this game. I know it's fun. I love this game. Now, normally, what we do is we roll dice. But hey, guess what? Listeners here, yeah, live, live, live audience. We're going to need some help. All right. So, first of all, I'm just going to shout this out to the chat. And first one that responds, that's your choice. I want somebody to pick. A number one through four for Griffin. Oh, we're doing we're doing me first. Okay. Three. From Reba's the, the first in the chat. Okay. All right. What's that the, mean? That means your character shows up in book three. Okay. Classic. Okay. Um, you want to do your full character or do these one at a time for both of us? I don't know. I, don't really I feel like they figured out what. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. Give a one for four. One through four for me too. <laughs> Make him show up in. One. Book one, huh? Damn, I really wanted four. That's great. You would to, to be levels one through four. Listen, I said four was lock, Lopsox Tournament. That okay. Would, that would have yeah. been fun. That would have been fun. All right, so I got book one. Let's go um, uh, number one through 100 for Griffin. Go, chat. 65. 65. Let's see what you got, Griff. You're healing. No, oh, boring. All right. Whoever said 65, fuck you. Kick him. Uh, <laughs> ban him. Uh, all right. One through 100 for me. 71. I bet you're also a human. I'm not, dude. I'm a Kasatha. Oh, gross. <laughs> well, you don't fit into any Pathfinder campaign. Yeah, you guys are not making this uh, easy for me. So for those of you who don't know, Kasatha are aliens from another world with four arms and conical heads. That's fun. Um... Really gonna 
push my creativity there. Um, how about oh number one through forty-two for Griffin? Eleven. Okay, you're a human wizard. Perfect. All right, that's perfect. One through forty-two for me. Eight. Okay. I'm a ranger, a Kasatha ranger. In in book one of. I would say this is a great fit. This is, wow. All right. Um, How about a one through 30 for Griffin? 22. Okay. 22. A little bit more counting here. You count eight off the back. Yeah, maybe I should have done that, right? (laughs) 30, 29, 28. (laughs) <laughs> Five master right, it might listen, blow your mind. Listen. You can come back. <laughs> listen. This 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 segment makes a whole lot more sense when we can edit out se- sessions. It like does, this. it does make it does make a lot more sense. Alright, well guess what? You're human wizard porter. Alright, one through thirty. What does a for porter me. even do? Twenty-nine. Well, it fits well with Ranger, because I'm a trapper. Okay. Kasatha Ranger Trapper. All right. So, uh, you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first, Griff? Uh, I got to figure out what the hell a porter is. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what a porter does? Um, well, wasn't what's his fuck a porter? Um, uh, yeah, Bellic. Bellic, yeah. Which I guess, which I guess was where I was going to go with this anyway. As a, <laughs> as a human wizard, uh, porter, I would definitely meet the party as one of the workers at Askinor. Okay. And I think that would mesh really well having somebody that's like kind of like um like you guys had with the stable master where she wasn't she wasn't actively out out to get you or anything and she was willing to share information with you. I think that would be helpful as a character coming in to be that kind of worker at Askinor. As far as what wizard I would be, um I mean wizards Wizards archetypes, unless you want to be broken like Haley makes them, are not super exciting. So I think I mean I think I would definitely take the scholar slant pretty seriously. I would yeah. I would probably work in the library and maybe have uh, studied up on the on the werewolf culture and stuff that's around me just because it's like nearby. Uh, Haley's got a point coming from the production box. I do. Uh, Emily has provided us with the definition of a porter, if that is interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Give me Uh, a porter. Portage work tends to operate out of hubs of civilization, whether in small frontier towns where the need for porters to carry exploration and adventuring gear is high or in great cities where merchants are in constant need of strong backs to carry load and unload cargo. A lone porter could hire out anyone needing assistance on a short or long-term basis, while a business person could run a portage and delivery service in any sized community. All right. Well, that definition makes me change my mind a little bit. I'm definitely going full-blown muscle wizard. Yeah, I was about to say, definitely porter, going porter does full, not vibe at all with Full-blown muscle wizard. Muscle wizard. Gonna How do be, you make that work? Uh, yeah. You go heavy in the transmutation, transmutation and- Hell uh, yeah. Get those like huge enhancement bonuses. Get the uh, I would start doing all of the stuff that um, like monstrous physique and that kind of stuff. I'd be, uh, you know, it's not optimal, but I would be doing that kind of stuff in order to uh, maximize my melee potential. 
Nice. Yeah, Eric also points out uh, you can carry stuff on a floating disc as a spell. Yeah, well, fuck that. <laughs> you fuck that. I, I guess that's how you would make it work if you didn't want to go super muscly, though, as a wizard, you know? Um, you would have the magic do the work for you. The portage, if I can use that word. Okay, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I'm going to show up here in book one as my Kasatha Ranger Trapper. Um, I think the situation in which I would bump into the party, um, rangers tend to be, or at least typecast or stereotyped into like woodsmen, right? Like an Aragorn type. Yeah, definitely. A man of the man of the outdoors. Kasatha is an alien of the outdoors. Right. So uh, yeah, alien of the outdoors. I think it works perfectly. Think about it this way. So not a whole lot of book one takes place in the great outdoors. No. But the section that does is the trip to Antrellis's little hut in the woods and back. Which isn't even in the real book. <laughs> All right, you know what? <laughs> no, I'm just giving Neither you Neither was time. the D4 Lopsox tournament. That's, so. that's also true. Okay. Um, so the way that I think I would envision this character coming in is um, the Nethel ghoul breaks out of Antrellis's head and does his big color spray thing. Maybe there's a TPK and he just wipes everything out or maybe he just handles it in a different way where it's a it's an actual combat and my character gets killed. And as the Nethel ghoul is fleeing the scene from um, from Antrellis's house through the forest bumps into a little Kasatha ranger. Um, it's my character because he's out trapping. Mm-hmm. Makes sense as a ranger. Um, don't think you need to read into that too much. He's a, he's a hunter. Why would we read into that too much? Uh, exactly. But I think having a Kasatha ranger gives me the opportunity to do exactly something that I've talked about on this show before. The bow nomad. Fuck Racial archetype exactly. for Kasatha. Is that a, is that a ranger archetype? It is. I thought it was. Yeah, when I just got- the fucking dual dual wielding longbows. Yes. So because they have four arms, um, that archetype allows them to basically dual wield bows because you can hold one bow with two or separate bows with two of your hands and then pull back the strings with your other two hands. So. Um, just like Comstock takes advantage of his racial archetype, I'm going to take advantage of this in the same way, because when else are you going to have Ranger and Kasatha, you know, in that Venn diagram, right? When I, when I think about an interesting wizard to play, I think, um, I think Chris is even in the chat, Mm -hmm. uh, an interesting archetype of wizard for both strange aeons and for this is the elder mythos scholar which i think he is currently playing yeah that could also be interesting in this campaign but i just feel like playing it for one book like really getting into the mysteries in one book might it would be satisfying but not as satisfying as something that really um really kind of meshes with the ap a little bit better Mm -hmm. i don't tend to think that wizard aside from a necromancer really meshes super well with like this is the divine characters ap let's yeah. be honest like yeah. this is where you come to bring a divine character a, some kind of caster or even like a paladin that has a good aligned god or phrasma mm-hmm. and just fuck shit up yeah i mean it's it's perfect for that tons of undead lots of um Lots, lots of. There's a lot of Phrasma tie-ins. I know you've got like all of the 
Um, I, I, unless you're like homebrewing all this stuff, there's like a Phrasma Cathedral or some sort of tie-in in basically every city we've gone to. You've got the Desna tie-in with the big um, Stare of the Moon mm-hmm. area. Yep. So that would be your opportunity to play that. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be very cool. I think it's also the perfect opportunity to play a necromancer character. Tell me more. I if if I were to take that wizard, even if even if I was going to go like muscle wizard, I think you mm-hmm. can still kind of pull it off as long as you don't pick necromancy as an opposition school. A necromancer against necromancers is kind of a cool concept. Uh, yep. A lot of people talk about like a white necromancer, and that's where a, a lot of the and in two E they've actually codified a lot of it. A lot of the anti undead spells are also necromancy. That's true. Disrupt Undead, mm-hmm. a spell that I've spammed several times, is necromancy. And so you can be a white necromancer, which is kind of like the good guy mm-hmm. necromancer that is against the undead and only utilizes the the undead part of their school of magic to confront the rest of undeath. It's like um, it's like people that are really good at hacking that get hired by banks and stuff to hack into their systems well, to see how other like yeah, black white, hats and white hats. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. They're hired to hack to figure out how other people would do it and strengthen their security. Yeah, so that makes sense to me. And I think we've seen some parallels too with kind of how I've been playing Matumbe, where it's like, well, it's pretty hard to avoid the fact that we have like 12 ghosts following our party around now. <laughs> Let's get so 13. I, so, uh, oh boy, crossover event? It's Tease? 13 ghosts. Well, then, then we can finally talk to Beetle and Grimms, get, get Matt Lillard on the Zone of Truth. Again, dude, you're too quick with this shit. I was I was getting ready to make a Matthew Lillard joke, but damn. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've we've played with that a little bit. That's exciting. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it, man. It's good times. Yeah, I, I I feel like the hardest thing for you bringing a Kasatha into Carrying Crown is just that that car- that that race is so foreign. Not only, yes. I mean, it's foreign everywhere, but. A four-armed dude isn't really going to get along with the Raven Grow, uh, right? You know, superstitious villagers either. I think a lot of times in Pathfinder, there's a slight suspension of disbelief, um, just with like crazy races showing up in in like random towns and cities. I mean, you look at um, a stat block for a city, and it's like ninety-nine point nine percent human, and like a percentage point half elf and a percentage point dwarf or whatever and that's it and so when somebody shows up that at least is a race that people have heard of like maybe like a lizard folk or a gnome or something it's not crazy it's Mm -hmm. they'll stand out quite a bit and you just kind of suspend your disbelief that like just someone's showing up that looks and behaves like uh, like a character of it becomes it becomes an old concept to continue to play out yeah you know what i mean like i guess what i'm trying to say is you get there are some races like Kasatha that it's even hard to suspend that disbelief. Like, who the fuck has seen a Kasatha? You would, in the yeah, world? you would require to suspend your disbelief if mm-hmm. people weren't reacting to you. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. But, but that, I think it's something that I really underplayed in book one. Yeah, we've talked about this, I think, off yeah. air before. Yeah. It, Tell me just, more about, about this. It's something that I don't really enjoy playing or enjoy role playing mm-hmm. is the whole kind of racially motivated part of some of these Pathfinder adventures that exists. That's like, Hey, these are supposed to be superstitious villagers. They should be really against like orcs because you're close to the holds of Belkson and they Mm -hmm. should be really, you know, and I don't really like, I get that that's a part of the lore, but I don't like role playing it at all, nor do I like role, like 
Oh my God, if I, if everywhere Matumbe went, it was like, oh, we don't get Mwangi people around here. That'd get a little old too, right? <laughs> yeah. And 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 that that's just one example. It's like you talk. If I didn't integrate Losco into the world, how common would rat folk really be mm-hmm. in Ustalov? Not very. And they'd get mistaken for were rats all the time and that kind of thing. So it's not a it's not a place I like to explore in my at my table. Yeah. And so I kind of, you kind of then have the option to play anything because you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like, Oh, Hey, forearms. Like, yep. And again, that's something, um, imagine if we were playing in AP, like a hell's rebels that basically takes place in one city. You could kind of play with that a little bit in the beginning and then just kind of forget about it. But in, in an AP like Carrying Crown, we where moving around, moving sometimes even in more than one book. I mean, I'm in one book, you're in more than one different town or city. You're traveling a lot. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have that same encounter every time. I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about Starfinder is how they've opened up the, there's so oh, many yeah. more playable races in Starfinder and they've really made it like the, like the Star Wars cantina. Yes. Pretty much everywhere you go, which is fun because you can play whatever the hell you want and you wouldn't expect something like a, oh, hey, you're a floating, uh, you're a floating brain. Uh, <laughs> I don't serve your kind man here. Hey, walking out, otter, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out, walking otter. We don't, <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't exist in Starfinder. So it's kind of, they've, they've taken what, what I dislike and they've made it something that's, uh, you know, they've kind of removed that entirely, which is cool. I think you see that a hair in Tui as well, where um, a lot of the the races that, you know, you, you mentioned like, oh, uh, in Ustalov, they're worried about half orcs or whatever. They kind of in those and, and they call them uh, ancestries now. They kind of back off that. We're like, well, they, not all of these people are bad. And that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, so, yeah, they, they end up having to retcon a little bit. But I think what they're trying to do is to avoid what um, what Wizards of the Coast ended up retconning, which is just like races that are evil. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which makes sense to want to move yourself away from that because people, I mean, you make it a playable race and people want to play it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Well, I feel like we got on a little bit of a tangent. We went on a little bit of a tangent, but, but that I think was, it was a good that one. Was a great backup roulette. I like that those guys pick stuff, even though I got a human. Uh, I, w- I would be a traditional... Uh, Usta Lavin scholar, though. I would definitely have like gone to Lebedstadt University and shit. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, by the way, I almost got human too because Kasatha, Kasatha is 71. Human on the um, expanded reincarnate table is 60 to 69. So uh, I thought close. somebody was going to put in 69. Yep. I'm surprised we didn't get one. Um, yeah, that was backup roulette. Let's move on a little bit. We're going to take an opportunity now that the party is out of Abaddon just to take a quick look at what that arc was and how Griff you prepared for it and some of the stuff that happened there. I don't know that we're going to dive too far into any one section, like doing a full My Favorite Monster or whatever on any of these encounters, um, just because there's a lot to cover and I don't want to spend too much time on this. But I think it's worth bringing up on the show because this was a big formative part of I think what will end up being our final story people are going to look back and say Abaddon was crazy wasn't that that was fun and cool and interesting yeah and we've gotten a lot of really good feedback on it so now that we've just stepped out of it let's talk about it a little bit so Griff 
Have we discussed on the show how this arc came to be? I can't remember if we have or not. I know some people know from like our, um, like a drunken disorderly. I'm sure yeah. we've mentioned it and stuff. I think so, we talked a little bit about it on air where I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants when mm-hmm. Haley had gotten plane shifted. And after that episode, like that's where I cut it off because I had to figure out where she was going. And we talked about how I had picked Abaddon and stuff and that I wanted to make this like a tournament. My initial inspiration was from like planet Hulk. Yep. Um, and and obviously with the maze, the inspiration there was the Harry Potter maze in the Triwizard tor- Tournament. Mm. Um, but in terms of what I wanted to include in the Abaddon arc and that kind of thing, I really wanted to use it as an opportunity to explore uh, the darkness in our in our current group because we had lost a party member that had a corruption. Yep, Ikmer. Um, Eclipse lost her corruption mm-hmm. and as I've said a, a million times I have corruptions planned for all of these characters and I'm just not 100% sure on when or how they're going to play out and this was a really good opportunity to uh, get Freya a corruption and explore how that would change the character and I think, I think it has drastically changed Freya um, it was an opportunity to explore like how far Matumbe will go for his friends, which is very far. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, very far. I mean, you 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 suffer uh, an alignment shift, and you become an ex inquisitor, and you wow, take on a the people listening don't know that Griff. Well, I know, but we can I say yeah, it here. That's true. Yeah, uh, and and you know, you take on this corruption. It's it's a lot. It completely. I, I think. The cool thing about Abaddon, and it was, um, it was maybe one episode into the arc where I knew that this was this was going to be very interesting. Was that we had Brooks playing a character he had had one combat of experience with. Mm-hmm. We had Haley bringing in a completely new character, and we had changed Matumbe and Freya so much that they played like almost new characters as well. It felt like a brand new party to me. It, it, it almost, really did. yeah, it, in some ways it felt like it was like, not, not like an evil interlude, but like like something we would do, like a side quest, like a Pavlos and Pals or something with new characters. Yeah. Because from a player's perspective, I'm sure, you know, you're all you're all working with a, a new set of skills. Yeah. After Matumbe picked up the axe and basically bonded with the lopper, I copied my Hero Lab profile for Matumbe, like duplicated it, and then made all of those updates, and it played completely differently. Yeah. So, yeah, basically a brand new character wearing the skin of my old one. Mm-hmm. Emily, you know, got access to a ton of new spells, abilities, her channel, complete her channel, which is something that's like instrumental to her character completely changed how that worked. Um, it was a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to work with you guys and find not like strictly worse solutions because it, it is, it, it feels like in Pathfinder, a lot of times when you lose your deity, pretty much all of your options are strictly worse. You can be a heretic inquisitor. You can be, yeah, you know, the channeler of the unknown, but I tried to like, you know, if you're going to be the channeler of the unknown, I'm still going to let you use like, you're cool. We're just going to change your luck channel thing that you already had. And we're going to, I'm going to give you a gun in exchange, you know? Uh, So I tried to, I tried to make it cool and fun for the character changes that happen. When uh, 
when I when I did X Inquisitor, you're right. One of the options was to do um, the Heretic Inquisitor, and I think like the only thing they get that's that is like noteworthy is they get like a stealth ju- judgment or something. And I was like, I'm not even gonna bother. I actually have that as Heretic. Like, it's oh, a yeah, judgment wait. of stalking. Yeah, uh, I think the the Umbral Stalker and the Heretic get it, yeah. and it's like when when you're not visible to the right, enemy but, or whatever. But that makes sense for Garrity. Uh, this yeah. is your uh, Return of the Room Lords character who always uses stealth for everything. Yeah, yeah it has and like a plus just 58 like, well, stealth. I'm never going to ever use stealth. Right, like, right. I'm going to use it to sneak into a library once in an AP and then call it done. Well, and I knew that, and that's why when, when I took your Inquisitor abilities away, I was like, I want you to increase yourself. Like, the Lopper is powering you up. Mm-hmm. You are full base attack bonus. That was great. And, you know, nice. you, you lose all your spell casting and stuff, but you still have your Investigator stuff, and you still have... Uh, I think you, you keep your Bane and stuff, which Correct. is cool. Um even as an ex-inquisitor, you have Bane because that's not really defined by your god. It's defined by your know-how and your uh, your inquisitors are very like monster fighting and and heretic mm-hmm. fighting oriented. And so they they have this Bane mechanic that's not granted by a god. It's granted by their know-how. Yeah. So you keep that. I think for the you know in terms of in terms of how I approached the homebrew of the arc, it was really. I, I wanted there to be a multitude of different types of challenges. Well, well, that's great because actually I just kind of wanted to pepper you with some rapid fire questions about those specific challenges. If you're, if you're cool with that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Because I didn't have anything else planned. So glad you said yes to that. Um, <laughs> nah, sorry. Don't want that. All right. So maze. So the maze basically, like you said, um, was you took inspiration from uh, Goblet of Fire, mm-hmm. which is, yep. I think, my favorite Harry Potter movie. Yeah, it's definitely, it's very definitely good. up there. Um, but one of the first things in there, the Sphinx. Two questions I had from that. Where did the riddles come from, and what would have happened if we failed those riddles? So the riddles, um, I knew the components I wanted to... I wanted you guys to have to retrieve uh-huh. and I tried to find riddles that uh, were adjacent to that. So like I had a riddle that was about fire because I needed you guys to re- retrieve that lava core. I had a mushroom one because I needed you guys to retrieve the mushroom mushrooms. I had that one with the scales because at the end of the day, it was supposed to be, you were supposed to uh, serve it in mm-hmm. one of the lunar dragon scales. So I, I worked from there. I, looked up riddles about those things and tried to find one that was like decently challenging that you wouldn't get right away. But that, uh, that also wasn't so hard because I knew you were going to get peppered with like four or five riddles. And I was worried because my, your fail condition was messing one of them up. Oh dear. Yeah. So you guys got all of them, but the fail condition was there that if you, you know, mess one of them up with the Sphinx, the Sphinx was going to attack. Mm-hmm. And what would that fight have looked like? Was that a particularly difficult encounter? Is there anything crazy a Sphinx can do? I think it was a cryo Sphinx. So it's like a CR nine. Okay. So I mean, we're nine party level. Characters. Yeah. I, I knew you were going to, I knew you were going to have a bunch of combats in the maze and I knew you weren't going to have time to rest. So most of the stuff was at your level. I think the full Drex was a, was the hardest thing. It was like a CR 11. Okay. And and then the dragon, I never expected you guys to fight. Great. Uh, thanks for mentioning a couple things that I just wanted to bring up real quick. So the full Drex, that's the name of the mushroom, right? Yes, that's the mushroom creature. That was, uh, that would have gotten really tough without a, a, a crucial air bubble spell. Yep. Um, 
Where'd that come from? That 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 creature. Refine I just it. I was looking up mushroom fungus creatures, you know, and I and I trying I to just, do uh, episode seventy four part two. Yeah, well, I I knew mushroom again. I, this is this is all literally because the first thing that came to my mouth when I was huh? talking about Lobstock's favorite food was fucking cream of mushroom soup. Like that, uh. just like like, I, and then I was like, "Fuck, I gotta figure this whole thing out based <laughs> off of cream of mushroom soup." Dug yourself a hole. But yeah, there. I dug myself, and that's kind of been the theme of the whole Abaddon arc. Was like, I would say something, and then I would prep the next two episodes based off of something I had said in that episode. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's just how it happened. Yeah. It was like, you know, I was. It was very. It was very. Seat of your pants, home brewing hey, that man, I was well, doing because. It, I wanted it all to come together in a good way, but also I didn't want to create a situation where you guys couldn't have, like, where it had to be so structured that you couldn't do anything interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I, I, I mean, it sounded, you say see your pants, but it sounded very planned out to me. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, before that mushroom fight, we had a fight with a big old fire scorpion. Um, I actually built that creature. Really? Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, so it was a, uh, I think it was a deadfall scorpion. Okay. Uh, and then I added some abilities to it and the, I think it's the flaming creature template. Okay. Um, because I, I wanted it to, <laughs> I was trying to get it to resemble a blast-ended scroot, which is what they face in the books in Harry Potter. Dear God. It's like a scorpion that shoots fire out of its ass. Uh, so I gave it a breath attack and that kind of thing. But um, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a cre- creature that no one off pod is ever going to fight because that, was, that was a homebrewed creature kind of. That's awesome. Uh, I'll also say no question here, but uh, that combat had some really cool environmental effects where we were hopping over lava and stuff as because it was doing that like weird burrow thing. I decided that, to add that in because yeah. because I was like, well, it has a burrow speed, but the whole room is lava and it's immune to fire. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to have it like trying to dig down to the lava. That was a cool way to turn a very boring battlefield into something really interesting because it really it really was just like an open arena with no environmental hazards and so as this thing would move it would like churn up the ground and then leave the lava behind it i really liked it again no question just something actually i actually took inspiration from the uh sepsis demon that you guys fought initially okay when you first got the abaddon there was that blob demon and it was in the stat block of that that wherever it moved it left behind this like acidic snail trail Ooh. and I was like it'd yeah. be really cool if this you know if I was churning up the ground with this uh, with this lava scorpion and it would cause the ground to be lava for a couple rounds before it you know before it filled in or anything so it was definitely a, it was definitely a hey there's a couple things I played recently and I really liked let yeah. me see if I can bring them into one character or one creature I like the sound of that man uh, question for you. So you were talking about serving the mushroom soup and you found a riddle with a scale mm. as the um, as the answer. So did that come before Jimberium or did Jimberium come before that and you found the riddle to match up to a dragon? Uh, I, I had picked my monsters when you guys entered the enter the uh, maze. Okay, so, so you picked that and then found a riddle that kind of tied to it. So I picked bit. a riddle that uh, that was about the moon to hint you hint to you that you were going to head to the moon and mm-hmm. that the creature would have something to do with the moon and then I added the scale one because I wanted you guys to pick up on that you needed the scale. Why the moon? Just cuz the moon's cool. 
I mean, like, why the fuck wouldn't I send you guys to the moon? Like, it's just we're doing everything. I can't answer that question. Yeah, that's rhetorical. Uh, All right, cool. How about death in the games? I know we had a a PC die that was Tulia, but um, that seemed, you know, she's got connections with Lopsock and we did really well with the uh, performances that combat. So she came back. What would have happened if, say, um, we hadn't done as well with the performances or a different character died? So I was threatening a little bit, you know, and you saw like in the, even in the cold iron chef, like the rest of the people were killed or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, I wasn't going to like wipe you guys out for the crowd behavior. Sure. It was definitely going to impose penalties. If one of you died, I probably would have been okay with that. But this was really not meant to punish you guys. I mean, because it, it, it punished you enough, right? It punished you enough by making yeah. your characters corrupted and, like, awful. And <laughs> so I wasn't trying to punish you with death in this arc, really. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, if, if one of you if one of you that wasn't Tulia that was introduced, like, two episodes ago had died, I, I might have been like, okay, well, you can find another combatant. But once that happened, that set precedent where I was like, okay, well, as long as they stay above 50% of the other combatants, I'll say that, like, their team gets survived. I'd say partly death was a thing that could have happened, but it it couldn't have happened as a result of, like, the cooking game or anything. Right, right. Uh, Which people loved, by the way. Don't know if you know that, but uh, people enjoyed the cooking game, so, uh, you know, props to you. It was really cool. It was really fun. fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, Yeah. Uh, What else happened there? So, um, the last... Abaddon arc episode was basically what happens to Eclipse and then us meeting up with her. Yep. And we did this dehydration thing, or rather you and Haley did this dehydration mm-hmm. thing. So just kind of walk me through that. Could she have actually died from that? Uh, she could have died depending on how mean I was deciding to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way I played it was that she had enough water on her to last a day. Yep. Uh, if I had played it that she had no water on her, she would have had to make 24 hours more of saves. Mm. So I, I played it like she had the water. The water was really the important part. She only started starving on day three. Okay. Uh, so the way the, the rules work is that you need a certain amount of water every day as a character. I guess it's it's 24 hours plus your constitution score. Mm-hmm. in hours and you can go without water for that long and then you need to start making saves and it's a dc 10 to begin with and it gets harder each one you fail and there are con saves they're not fortitude saves so it's just like your con score so things could have got bad it was a d6 of non-lethal that then started becoming lethal and the the hunger i think was much the same so she could have been in a bad situation if she had 24 more saves to make but yeah um even even as such, I think she took 50-some damage from it, which was pretty brutal. And, and Half-ish, probably her health. If you go to zero on the dehydration track, I think it does kill you. Ouch. So, it's brutal. Yep. But, I mean, that's the reality of getting whisked away without your backpack or any of your other stuff. Damn. Into an undead city, they don't have food and water. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense to me. Um, there was some uh, some uh, some foreshadowing there, a little hero reading from A, but that was kind of the last thing that I wanted to bring up. Any anything special from that? People people have heard those. Yeah, uh, that was off the cuff. That was yep. really fun, <laughs> but it was off the cuff. I was kind of like, guys, give me a second. I got to think of the right cards. Yeah, but uh, 
I wanted to do another, I kind of stumbled into it in the conversation because I wasn't 100% sure what direction, I I had an idea of what Haley wanted to do with the clips in that conversation, but I wasn't 100% sure where she wanted to go. And so I wanted to have that kind of call back to episode one because this is literally the second time we've seen him. Yeah. Aside from the evil interlude. And, um, and so I wanted to bring back the Harrow reading so that it could, you know, it could show that he, he knows more than he knows. There's, you know, there's a connection with the decks, that kind of thing. It's kind of fun too, just to kind of refresh that because although the Abaddon arc was a nice little chunk that is supposed to fall at the beginning of book four in our canon, we kind of haven't gotten to actual book four yet. So coming out of that was almost like refreshing that very first episode. So it was like, um, you know, it's our halfway mark almost right. Yeah. Here's a reminder of what happened in the, in, in the very beginning um, that took us through books one through three. And now here it is again. And that should take us books four through six in my mind, at least I don't know how it'll actually play out, but it was cool. I think it, it thematically fell well there from like a storytelling perspective. I had a, I had a good bit of fun with it. So. Yeah. And it was fun, but let's get into some more fun here. How, how does that sound to you? Sounds good, man. Oh, uh, I, I got a, I got a finger here from, uh, from Haley in the production chair. What's up? You guys, we've got rapid fire Abaddon questions. Oh, okay. Well, I'm happy to answer any okay. of those. Yeah. So one of them uh, from Sir New is how much power does Lopsock actually have? Like, where does he fall on Abaddon's hierarchy? Lopsock is a demigod. So in terms of how powerful daemons are, uh, he's uh, daemons don't have a hierarchy like um, like devils do. He's like a pit fiend equivalent. So they're they're kind of like the just below the actual infernal dukes. Um, he, he's kind of like that level. He's above twentieth level. Damn. All right, what else you got? Well, I guess he's a twentieth level bard with the uh, or something. No, he's the uh, template. He his creature is a CR fourteen creature, and oh. then he's a twentieth level bard on top. Of that. That's how they. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. So he's he's very powerful. I'd say he's like a CR twenty four. I think is what that stacks up to be. Don't get on his bad side. He's powerful enough to like give Tulia power. Mm-hmm. Like that's how strong he is. But he's a pretty jovial guy for being that strong. I'd say so. What so else the, we got? So the next one we got is from uh, By New Year Tart uh, or Biffy. So how sad would you have been if your character had died during the tournament and then also how guilty would Eclipse feel about that, which I feel is directed at me. That's directed at you. You're, you're more than welcome to answer that, Haley. Eclipse would uh, probably feel pretty guilty and then probably a little bit less so once the lopper came back, but pretty guilty. Yeah, it would have been... Um, it's always tough when you lose a character, but I think that would be a particular slap in the face for me. In particular, because when... Matumbe got infected with the lopper and picked up that corruption. I moved towards evil on the alignment track, which took Matumbe to neutral evil, and Abaddon is the neutral evil plane. So basically, he would have been killed, becoming neutral evil, and then have to die there and probably just stay there. That would really suck. That'd be a that'd be a punch to the gut. Yeah, that would have sucked. Yeah. All right. Uh, I got one here from. Blarder days or Nathaniel were 
combats involving the other three teams thought about. I had imagined for the tournament arc that only one team would be granted freedom at the end. My my initial thought was to have the top uh, four groups of the cooking contest then lead into kind of a a, a bracket style, just like a, a round robin fight, um, a a two and two, and then a final two. Um, but it just it didn't it didn't really make sense to me to keep keep us in Abaddon for that long. I, th- I felt like 10 episodes was already kind of <laughs> generous for that kind of a, that kind of an adventure when, you know, realistically, I, if I didn't capture you guys at the beginning of that arc, you probably could have saved Eclipse in a day and been back on your merry way. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't want to belabor the, the arc as much fun as I had. I, you know, I, by the end of it, I really wanted to get back into book four and get back onto our regular story. Uh, granted, if this was a homebrew podcast, I I probably would have had us in Abaddon for like fucking fifty episodes. I could have done, you know. I had a yeah. lot of fun with it. I th- I feel like it could have kept, you know, we could have kept upping the ante there. But yeah, it, it was definitely considered new. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think uh, I'm getting the signal here that those were our Abaddon questions. So let's move into just our general listener questions. Now, the first one comes from Dylan on the Patreon. He's asking, I'm still in the backlog, so I won't be tuning in to avoid spoilers. Well, I hope you join us in the future, but okay. Um, I hope you all have a good time. If you take listener questions, yeah, we are. We do. Um, we do. <laughs> I'll have to ask for an update on Steve's courtship of Jeff Bezos. Has he given up now that he's no longer the richest man alive? Love you guys. Well, thanks, Dylan. Um, so for those of you who don't remember. Are you musky now? All right. Well, so for so for uh, for those of you who don't remember, this was a bit uh, fairly early in the Hideous Laughter podcast where uh, Brooks showed up to recording and then asked me live on air without um, letting me know he was going to do this if I was going to court Jeff Bezos because I'm the only single person on the podcast and uh, Jeff Bezos got divorced. Um, I mean, I'll keep my options open and I've been waiting to hear something from uh, Mr. Bezos, but I haven't. So um, I think I'm going to move on at this point. I've been waiting long enough. How many times did you contact him, Steve? Listen, I buy things from Amazon all the time. I don't know what else. Do you, do you write in the comments? Me. Please tell Mr. Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open. Yeah, I I'm actually, open and available. Actually, every time that I order something from Amazon, I ha- I include special instructions. Please say to Steve from Jeff Bezos. I've returned every Amazon's purchase, but just the box with a picture of me inside. <laughs> hasn't gotten shot. to him yet. Yeah, hasn't got to him. So yeah, um, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, it hasn't been going great but not for lack of trying. So are you, are you going for Elon Musk now? Mm, I don't he's know. He's, one. he's weird. He's kind of weird, right? Yeah, I don't like him. I don't, he's, he's got this weird cult following behind him too, that I'm not about. I mean, he made PayPal. Do you, do you remember like, do you remember what he looked like before? No. Oh, you haven't seen the pictures of like when he was the creator of PayPal versus now. No. Oh yeah, he looks like shit. Oh <laughs> He's no, got a lot of work done. Oh no, I mean, I don't think he looks good now. So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a tough reality. Yeah. Uh, so that's a no. Um, 
I mean, I am a gold digger, but um, we'll, we'll see. All right. Uh, he doesn't really need much, folks. He hey, doesn't need much more than a couple mil. You know, uh, folks who are able to uh, tune in here for the live broadcast are also able to leave voicemails. We're going to hit some of those right now. How does that sound? Yeah, let's do it. Do some voicemails. Haley, roll the first voicemail. Hey, hideous laughter crew. This is the horror or just another Chris in this world. Uh, question for today is, Griffin, what is your go-to meat on the smoker? Love you guys. Later. Well, you'll be glad to know that we love you too. But Griffin. What's my go-to meat on the smoker? Okay, so that's uh, that's kind of a multifaceted question, honestly. Is it? It is because, uh, like, go to infers like the most common thing I smoke, mm-hmm. uh, but it could also be used in reference to like what's my favorite thing to smoke. Yep. And so uh, I think I have an answer that suits both criteria. I the the thing I most frequently smoke these days is actually ribeyes. Okay. Um, okay. I, I find that like for for a multitude of occasions, they're kind of the best thing. Yeah. And they're also a really fatty steak, or a decently fatty steak at least, which which ends up working well in um, in the smoker because the smoker kind of emulsifies the fat. Yep. And so I really really enjoy smoking ribeyes because um, not only do they get like you know how if you were to cook a ribeye normally you you if you wanted medium rare you'd be really looking for that like just center is pink. Yep. When you smoke it, it's pink all the way through. That's nice. But it's not the like bleeding pink. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bleed. It's just perfectly pink the entire way through. That's that's so excellent. I, I don't like when steaks are so rare that they bleed. That kind of actually creeps me out a little bit, even if it is kind of tasty. But if it's just pink all the way through, oh, that's the that's the stuff. And so I'll give I'll give my I'll give how I do it. This is this is how I do. Uh, ribeyes on the smoker. It is 30 minutes either side, unless it's really thick. So I smoke it at 225, 30 minutes either side, only salt and pepper. I take it off. I immediately wrap it with a pat of butter in a, uh, in a foil packet by itself and put it in a cooler. I leave it in a cooler for at minimum 20 minutes. And then I sear it on all sides. And that I've found has created perfect steaks every time. That sounds excellent, dude. Um, I'm I'm particularly a fan of when you smoke sausages. Yeah, you like the sausages. I do. The one thing I don't like about sausage is just that the the casing gets a little snappy mm. after you smoke it. I, I wish there was a way to kind of avoid that because that kind of it's almost hard to bite through. Yeah, I guess so a little bit, but I mean, it tastes great. It tastes but good, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you, Griff, for sharing. It's much appreciated. Sounds delicious. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play the next voicemail here. This one comes from our good buddy, Bippy. Hey, guys, Bippy here. Um, so replacing high level characters is kind of a weird situation because you got to imagine there's only so many people in the world are that powerful and usually they have some kind of folk legend surrounding them if you had to replace a high level character what kind of folk legend would you tie to them thanks bye 
God, I love this question. It's good. This is a really good question. Mm-hmm. So if we, when you bring when you bring a character in, and I agree with Bippy on this, it's very difficult once you get past a certain level to bring just any Joe Schmo adventurer into the party. And I think that when you try and decide what the character's backstory is going to be in, in terms of the world, mm-hmm. it's important to think about how you could make them powerful without making them like renowned. Sure. So, I mean, some people will come into, they'll bring a character in and they want them to be renowned. But I think there are ways that like a town guard can become a level 10 adventurer without being an adventurer. Mm -hmm. There are ways that you can bring a character into that situation that hasn't adventured before or that, you know, was an adventurer or that was a powerful adventurer and then lost power. And so if, if I were to kind of make a character that had a legend around them, I think you, you have a couple areas that are like really easy to kind of draw from like, I guess I'm still kicking off of that like skulls and shackles thing, but like being like a famous pirate captain is an easy way mm-hmm. to bring in like a level 11 character. That's, that's how powerful those characters normally are. But one, one concept that I really like is that you have a, either a bounty hunter or even, and I'll go back to like the movie, the repo man, even like a repo man, like character that, uh, that is known far and wide for their like, somewhat brutal tactics that has um that is keyed in on one of the party members. Ooh, okay. And so they and they end up finding a, a like cause with the party. Mm-hmm. And so this character is kind of like a, you know, a hired hand is a powerful person that people probably know about that uh, ends up like trying to either assassinate or do whatever to one of the party members and ends up befriending the party. Yeah, I like that a lot. I um, I agree with the. I feel like the 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 like the the theme or feeling behind this, really the message behind the, this question is that you can't approach high level character creation the same way you do level one or low level character creation. You can't just have somebody show up and then gl- grow into their greatness. They already need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, So I kind of read this question a bit like a backup roulette situation, like if you just showed up. Um, And I kind of thought maybe what if Matumbe died in mid to late book four? Because that's starting to get there where you can't really just have somebody show up and be great. You have to have a story behind that. Um, And I do for my backup, but I'm not going to share that here. Because Matume is going to live through all six books. Forever. Forever. And forever. we'll never need the backup. Um, but I kind of thought, what would make sense to show up late in book four? And um, I actually don't think I would ever do this because I wouldn't want another Oracle. I think we retired that with Emily. But wouldn't it be cool to have like a mad prophet Oracle? Somebody sort of like, um, do you remember the character? Um, in Game of Thrones, the uh, he was he was in the Iron Islands, the like priest that was like in yeah, the surf, yeah. and he was all wacky and crazy. That, like uh, one of the Greyjoys, it was the it was the one yes. other brother or one of the brothers of um, the dead. Leader. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm never going to remember his name, but it was some sort of like sea prophet oracle um, or somebody kind of like the um, I had just finished uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey. So I'm thinking like the prophet at Delphi, like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I kind of just saw somebody who was foreseeing the end of days with all of like these old ones coming back or like this elder mythos tie-in and I figured that would be cool an oracle who has built up their renown as a prophet and now has prophesized things coming to pass and now decides that they want to act out against that that one would certainly require a good amount of GM oh I know for sure GM uh, permission as well as probably intercession and in the sense that like hey here's the stuff you know as a as an oracle that's figuring these things out Mm -hmm. I would, I would really like to honestly like try my hand at recreating legends of reality, right? Like I, I think someone, someone like a Johnny Appleseed would make such a cool like combat focused druid that you could bring in, and yeah. like you could you could kind of like reference the same type of story, but make them a, your own in terms of how the character is. Yeah, uh, the Johnny Appleseed would be a lot of fun. I remember there was a character in our Rise of the Rune Lords game that, Tim, like a GMPC that Tim had based off of uh, Johnny Appleseed, or like a Paul Bunyan, like yep. would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think you can kind of make like if you bring a gunslinger in at any point, you can kind of make them like ride, bring bring out the the mythos around them because they're so rare. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Well, I think those were our uh, our voicemails for this this month. We'll have more for next time, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I think it's time to move on into some some listener questions here that we've received in the chat. Yeah, so I've saved a few here. I've pinned them. Uh, this one of them here from Sir Newt. It got asked over in the Min Max Discord. But what mixer would, would you pair? Not our Discord. With pick Malort? <laughs> what was that? What mixer would you pair with Malort? Why would you want to prolong Malort? <laughs> um, Jesus. Maybe grapefruit juice. That you was my answer down. too. Yeah, that was you my just answer. Just double down on what on what it is. You could probably hide a decent, at least a grapefruity portion of it in that. Yeah, some citrusy. You know, I, I bet call. I bet there's like a tea that would work well with Malort. What are you talking? About? I bet there is. I bet <laughs> I bet there's like a tea that would work okay with like. You just gotta find the right one. You gotta try all. Yeah, the I can tea. tell you started with the thirteen point seven ABV. <laughs> Listen, man, <laughs> that answer is whack. Earl Grey and Malort. Jesus, green tea and Malort. That uh, you got to think about things that uh, that grapefruit go with tea. I think I think you could find a tea. Okay, sure. Um, somebody in our Discord had previously said that they wanted to see us mix Malort with a chocolate milkshake. No, no, <laughs> no. I, I didn't say it. I just said somebody else said it. It's, it's so funny that all the dairy options have to be like the, the most popular drinks. It's like, oh, Griffin doesn't want dairy. Yeah, I don't want to shit myself mid-episode, man. Jesus. I'm trying, I'm try, just trying to live. You guys don't give Haley fucking uh, gluten drinks. Yeah. Why do I get the the cream? Yeah, be like, Haley, take a shot of vodka and then eat half a loaf of bread. Like, that's like giving you have the a dairy. Couple, have a couple of bread slices and fall asleep. Um, 
when uh this is just a fun anecdote before we move on to the next question about malort so when i met up with my family over the summer i took a shot of malort with my brother and my dad in this airbnb that we were in and my dad chased a shot of malort with a bite of sausage and there's nothing more chicago than that statement (laughs) my dad took a shot of malort and just took a bite of sausage to chase it it was, was it Kavanos? No, 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 it oh. wasn't Kavanos. It was just it was just like a cooked sausage. And you oh, can't get beautiful. more Chicago than that. That's amazing. All right, Haley, what else you got for us? We have two that are almost paired together, I would say. Okay. One is from Bipolar uh Pop Tart, once again, and that's Was the Dragon Named After Jim Beam? And then to follow that up, Sir Newt asked, What names did you come up with before Gorgon Ramsey? So lots of naming ones there. Jimberium uh, was Jimberium um, the Loud was a uh, my favorite name after cycling about thirty times through a dragon name generator. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty. Cool. So well, it wasn't named after Jim Beam, uh, but uh, Gorgon Ramsey was the first name I thought of for a, for a fucking judge on a uh, food style show. I. I, I don't know why Gordon Ramsay was the first one that came to mind, but I was like, what could I what could I do to play off of Gordon Ramsay? And I was like, Gorgon's pretty close. And I remember we were talking about air I uh, off air too about um the manta ray cloak that Lyra picked up in book two, and you were telling me that you had planned the Abadar Abaddon arc that long ago, and you were you said that uh that had fallen through a portal from Abaddon. It was a Rachel Manta Ray cloak. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're... I think Call that was bluff. worth it. My bluff. Yeah, it was a Rachel Manta Ray cloak. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. It's about as good as you could do, I guess. So yeah, not not a ton of uh, not a ton of thought process behind either of those names. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Pavlos was also figured out in about T minus three seconds. When I needed to come up with a character name. I think that's what the listeners want to hear. Not a lot of thought process behind that one. (laughs) Not a lot of thought behind those eyes. Uh, So we have one more here in the chat regarding um, games. So it's also from Bipolar Popstart. Did Griff ever try out Monster Sanctuary? Monster Sanctuary, I haven't. I, uh, I have it downloaded. (laughs) <laughs> so believe it or not, I have heard of Monster Sanctuary, and uh, it's it's next on my list because I I literally just finished Nexomon, and it's on the Switch. Uh, is Monster Sanctuary? I, I've heard it described as like a Metroidvania crossed with Pokemon, so I'm kind of excited to play it. But I haven't I haven't even dipped my toes yet. Awesome. Well, thanks for asking us, folks. Haley, do you have any more, or should we move on to the big finale announcement? Uh, I think the only one we really have got here is uh, where is my voicemail and why is Steve so cute? Those are the only two we've got. Guys. <laughs> oh, I'm going to blush here. You can really see um, me blush behind these three ring lights that are pointed directly at me. Three bright as fuck white light I've ring never, lights. I've never looked paler, but uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. Steve, I'm worried. that I'm glad you're wearing a dark shirt. I know, right? It's like they can almost see through my skin to my veins. Um, but thank you for saying I'm cute. I'm flattered. Um, Griff, 
The HLP is going to do a second show, isn't it? Second big flagship show. Isn't it going to do a second show? It is going to do a second show. So last time we had one of these big live events, we teased that it was going to happen at the $1,000 Patreon tier. Or I'm sorry, the Patreon goal. And we're damn close. We are getting really close. We are in heavy pre-production on this thing. Yeah, we're in... I won't even tell you how heavy the pre-production is. It's thick with two C's. Thick with two C's seems to be the theme of tonight's episode. Um, but I was thinking maybe this is how we go about announcing this. I have the synop- like the little teaser synopsis. <laughs> I see that. Do you mind if I read that and then you tell us all uh, what the big what the big AP is going to be? Absolutely. But first, I think we need to go red. Oh my god! All right, for those of you listening along. All the lights have turned red. All the lights have turned red. Here it goes. The king is dead. In the Varesian port city of Corvosa, the death of a monarch leads to chaos, and only the PCs can help to save the city from its own darkest tendencies. As the rule of the young queen grows more and more draconian, it's up to a band of bold adventurers to stop the spread of tyranny, before all of Corvosa is crushed beneath her iron fist. Griffin, what are we playing next? We are playing Curse of the Crimson Throne. Woo! That will be our second flagship AP. Curse of the Crimson Throne is a legendary Paizo AP. A hugely loved adventure path in the Paizoverse and a hugely underrepresented adventure in terms of uh, folks like us recording it for folks like you. It is the second AP that Paizo ever put out. It was originally made for their 3.5 system, correct? Yep. And then later, an anniversary edition, actually transitioning it to Pathfinder as we know it today, was released. But we are going to be playing it in... We are converting it to second edition. That is correct. So we will be playing the entirety of the AP in 2E. We are bringing one of Paizo's most popular adventure paths to the present. And why are we doing that, Griff? I mean, why Why not? Exactly. It's just, it's just going to be fun. So we've, uh, as a group, we've been playing second edition for a bit now. Second and- edition is growing in a way that I... I really like, and I know you do mm-hmm. too. Now that a couple source books are out, you can really make a cool, unique, fleshed out character in the way you can in one E. And I think now is about the time where you can really make your own thing and make it cool. Yeah. And with that, we wanted to show off not only the second edition system, but show it off with one of the most beloved APs in first edition so mm-hmm. uh you know those of those of you that love the the first edition adventures while well, you're you know you're not yeah. going to be missing out here it's probably one of the coolest one city adventures that's ever been written and on top of that we want to be able to include uh some of the cool things that 2e has has brought to the table everyone in our party will have a free archetype so we could really kind of blow the doors off of uh, character creation and character options. And I, from, from the characters that have been um, slid across my desk, I can tell you it's going to be really fucking fun. Yeah. And I don't know if we're at the point where we want to announce the entire cast yet, 
um, because I know we want to kind of keep building hype and stuff. But guys, I'm going to be on the show. Steve's going to be on the show. So, I mean, I feel like that should be enough for anybody to want to sign up now. Um, but I'm not the only player that's going to be there. So, you know. So are we announcing cast or not? We're just announcing Steve, I guess. Okay. Haley, do you want to announce yourself for the show? I mean, maybe you're not going to be on it. It's up to you. Who does? So, actually, I'm going to be on the show. Woo! I uh, couldn't have believed it. You heard it here first, folks. Mm-hmm. Haley and Steve are going to be on the show. Who knew? Much and to Griffin is surprise. running it. Well, we did say that I was going to run it uh, last note of truth. But yes, yes, I will be running it. I will be converting it. I will be... Um, well, here's one thing I will say. Name of the show. We oh, can on. we do that now? We can do that now. We can do that now. The name of the show in the tradition of Hideous Laughter... The name of the show will be the Bestow Curse Podcast. Hmm. Because That's guess what? We're going to bestow Curse of the Crimson Throne unto you. That's right. But uh, I'm I'm super excited to get to announce this because this has been a long time in the works. And uh, I feel like since the beginning of our show, it was like our big goal is to, well, it was kind of two part, right? Like, have a nice close relationship with Paizo and then expand our offerings yep. to the world. I'm just really excited with, with the reception of things like the Abaddon arc and, and that kind of thing. I, I'm really excited to be able to run something that's not strictly horror mm-hmm. because I, I knew going into the hideous laughter podcast that that was the niche under which I operated really well. Yep. I really enjoyed running horror, but I want to get to uh, spread spread those wings and run a really intrigue and political and um, and traditional adventure show. It, I, it is a much more traditional fantasy story, mm-hmm. which I think is going to be exciting because although I think we do horror really well, I also know that this group has played tons of different other types of adventures. Um, off pod, we've played basically all of the quote unquote Rune Lords adventures. You guys have done Skull and Shackles, we've done Starfinder stuff, and most of that has not been horror. Carrion right. Crown has been horror. Mm-hmm. But let's give us an opportunity to flex our muscle- muscles in a different way or different muscles to flex. I'm super excited because it's going to be something different from us. But of course, we're going to bring like our HLP standard flair. Yeah, the, the standard flair will be there. But uh, for for those listeners that we've had that have consistently wanted to hear 2E stuff, we're really happy to be able to provide that. Obviously, the HLP is not converting, is staying first edition, as well as... Yeah. Probably the majority of Linked Legacy, unless, you know, someone that wants to GM it decides, oh, yeah, I'll run us through the slithering, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, that's going to stay in first edition as well. And so we wanted to kind of branch out because we've really enjoyed what we've played of second edition and think it's a it's a good direction to go for the for the show as a whole or for the network as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope you guys will uh will join us on that journey i think we're only we're we're like uh 290 ish dollars away as i speak uh from from launching that show we are uh what i would consider uncomfortably close because that means we need to start doing a lot of work now yep yep the 
the cogs are in motion. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, you know, I've been working on this behind the scenes for a while since April when Haley yep. and I played a little bit of it. Yep. Um, and and I know you guys are working on bringing really cool characters to the table. So um, something like a like us showing up in Super Smash Finder, I think, is just a precedent to uh, the cool things that we're going to be able to bring in second edition. And um, I think the stories we're going to be able to tell in it are uh, just as good, if not better, because Curse uh, of the Crimson Throne is pretty high rated yeah. uh, <laughs> than, what, than what we produce now. Honestly, kind of this is what it's all about. I'm so excited to be able to share more of our stories with you folks at home. And I can't wait to see what the future holds because Curse is going to be awesome. Curse is good. I am beyond hype for Curse. I know I'm beyond hype for where we're going. I want to record now, but like I'm so hyped for Curse. You don't even know. Mm-hmm. I I've been I've been reading. I I read the entire guide to Corvosa before I even dipped into the book. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited! I'm so excited to play it. The Academy, the Academy, Steve. You're it's saying not too even, much, Griffin. It's not even You're saying too much. It's not even in the Curse of the Crimson Throne books, but it's like fucking evil Hogwarts. It's in Corvosa. Evil Hogwarts. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, though, we also uh, talked about how we have played through book five of Curse of the Crimson Throne off air. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to be substituting that out. Well, you've seen you've seen how much you enjoyed the Abaddon arc. <laughs> Guess we're going uh, homebrew. Our quote unquote book five of this eventual uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne run is going to be not what you have read. So just be ready. It's going to be very unique. It certainly won't be what you've read. I'm working on what this story is going to hold for book book five um, as we speak you know I have I have a lot of cool ideas for it and I'm really excited to actually get to take a book of an AP and completely homebrew it and tailor it alright well that was the big announcement folks if you're excited and willing and able to help us achieve that goal uh, subscribe to us on patreon at whatever level um, that you feel comfortable or want to uh, uh, subscribe for because more awesome adventures are headed your way and once we hit that a thousand dollar tier it's happening so thank you to everybody who subscribes now who is part of our little community the carrion crowd is the best listening audience in the world we appreciate you um the folks who are listening here tonight uh giving us questions giving us feedback it's been incredible thank you so much Haley. you've done an incredible job at the producer role always appreciated griffin you're a great co-host um is there anything else we need to cover before we head out of here and head into the after party well the king is dead Long live the queen. Cheers. Cheers. Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.